Omajana Trimananda Shah, Janajana Salakaya, Chakshun Melitanyena Tasmai Shri Guru Venamaha, Kunjakoptu Bischa, Krikas in the Bivacha, Petitanam Pamane Bio Vaishnavijanamunamaha. Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya. Nasta Priyeshu Abhyeshu Nityam Bhagavat Sevaya Bhagavat Yutama Shloke Bhaktir Bhavati Naistiki Good evening, everyone. We'll chant a verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, which is representative of the subject at hand. Vedanti Tat Tatva Vidas Vedanti Tat Tatva Vidas Tatvam Yash Janama Advayam Tatvam Yash Janama Advayam Rameti Paramatmeti Rameti Paramatmeti Bhagavaniti Sabjati Bhagavaniti Sabjati Learn transcendentalists who know the absolute truth. Call this non-dual substance Brahman, Paramatma, or Bhagavan. So we'll continue tonight speaking on Srila Jiva Goswami's Satsandarvas. Specifically, the Tatva Sandarbha, which is the first of his six uh, Sandarbhas. First four dealing with Sambandha, one dealing with uh, Avideya, and one dealing with Prayojan. Uh, we are nearing the end of the uh, Tatva Sandarbha, and we will discuss this evening the idea put forth by Jiva Goswami that if we are to comprehend the nature of that Supreme Being, uh, we can get some indication as to His nature by a careful observance of our true nature, of our nature. Jiva Goswami's uh, established his uh, methodology in the first half of the Top Sadarbha. Uh, regarding uh, Praman, uh, what's reliable evidence for spiritual inquiry. If we're going to take on the, the yeoman's task of trying to figure out the nature of ourself, we need all the help we can get. So Jiva starts by saying, well, where can we find good help? Well, let's look to what is the way of the world first. First way of the world is we look, uh, we take a p empirical inspection of what's available to us. And what we find, if we carefully look at, if we step back from and carefully look at the environment and what we have to work with, empirically we have the mind and senses. From that we can gather some knowledge. And we can go beyond that because we may not be able to experience everything in the world and the cosmos personally. So we can also take knowledge from others who may have experienced something that we haven't had the opportunity to firsthand. I can get secondhand knowledge uh, from a reliable source. So what Jiva Goswami presents to us is, although there's different names and nomenclatures used for 
acquisition of knowledge and what is knowledge knowable. Uh, he breaks it down into three basic categories. Empiric knowledge, what, what our senses can perceive and our mind can arrive at from those perceptions. And we can infer other knowledge based on what we can perceive and the conclusions we can arrive at. So direct perception and inference dealing with the world around us. But he takes a he takes us on a on a little bit of a tour through where there's some shortcomings in that kind of knowledge. The senses have their limitations. And your what your senses perceive may not be what my senses perceive. What's sweet to me may be bitter to you. What's hot to me may be your cold. He points out that, yeah, the senses are there, but everybody's senses are not the same. What to speak if we look at the range of sense perception available through the whole, the whole range of the very species of life. We can, our sense perception as far as seeing is very limited in consideration of some other living entities. So what Shiva arrives and brings us to is when it comes to the topmost knowledge available to humanity at large, we have to rely on the revelation of those people who are perfect in life, perfectly situated transcendentalists. And if we hear from them that have actually experienced the truth, then we can go beyond the range of limited sense perception and limited inference based on empiric knowledge, no matter how well it may be presented to us. And we can perceive what is the nature of ourself in a much deeper and more meaningful way. And he goes to show that what these great transcendentalists have arrived at are conclusions based on the hearing of the sages that there is available to humanity at large perfect knowledge which is descending from the transcendental realm. So the Lord is making available to humanity through the saints and sages perfect transcendental sound vibration. So they're the via media. So when we look to acquiring spiritual knowledge, we go to a, well, we like to use the word transparent. Transparent meaning no self-motivation other than the highest ideal of transcendent service to the Supreme. So if we can find such a transparent medium, then what is coming in revelation, and this revelation is coming in many ways to the sages, they hear directly, 
They can actually perceive the presence of the Lord directly. They can hear his voice directly. And sometimes he even descends in various incarnations and, and uh, as his own devotee, or he empowers devotees, different living entities, to speak on his behalf. So he can speak himself in humanity. He can have others speak on his behalf. And all that knowledge is perfect knowledge. And in our tradition, in the Vedic tradition, that sound vibration, that perfect sound vibration, descendant, descending from the transcendental realm, is called Subda Brahman. So in the first half of his Tattva Sandharva, he's established that if we are going to take and determine what is the best evidence for receiving knowledge available in humanity for those in humanity who are inquiring into the nature of their true being, their true self, their spiritual nature, this is, this is the key. This will do it for you. Throw away the limitations of the senses and the mind. Throw away the limitations brought on by the environment including our own personal environment, meaning our current conditioning. Some of us are intelligent, some of us are less intelligent. Some of us are built, born in a, one particular society, others are, are in a different society. So this Subdhra is so transcendentally potent in and of itself that irrespective of our position, relative to our body, relative to our environment, relative to anything. If we can hear this sound vibration coming through, quote, quote, transparent by media, someone that has no stake in the game, independent of presenting this knowledge purely. And such a personality is, is perfectly situated. We call that a sadhu, a saint. And we can hear perfectly. So he's established his pramana, his evidence that we should rely upon for transcendent knowledge and revelation and realization. And that was the first part of the Tattvasandarva. Then we come to the second half. Well, now we know how to receive the best knowledge. What should we inquire about? And of course, we want to inquire into the nature of our being. Now let me step back a little bit. When we talk about the various pramana, the evidences that all the great sages and saints have presented into humanity, what Jiva presents is we look to the the culture that has the deepest theology. And for him, that's, that's the Vedic school of thought. That was his culture. That was the, where, what he was born into. So, and he's also had his own revelation in, an asso in the association with the greatest saint of the day. He had personal association, which with a personality who was considered by those that he deemed most knowledgeable to be the Supreme Lord himself, coming as a devotee of the Lord. So in his culture, 
what he presents to us in his Sundarbas is that he opens his Sundarbas speaking of the glory of the advent of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This hidden incarnation of the Supreme Lord coming in and giving transcendental knowledge. And he said and he and he gives us as the primary knowledge to be had of all the Vedic, of all the storehouse of Vedic knowledge, he focuses on the message of the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the most mature commentary on all the Vedas because it comes to the true essence, which is unalloyed in any way, unalloyed spiritual service to the Supreme. This literature speaks to that better than any other literature that I can find in my environment. We are following that lineage. We have reasoned, we have arrived at our reasoning for it in following a saint like Kiva Goswami. We find his, his, uh, his logic in the world of spiritual logic available in humanity today, hardly anyone can refute the exalted position of Srila Jiva Goswami, no matter what their tradition. So he's, he's established his praman, his primary evidence as being Srimad Bhagavatam. And he's established his, his primary philosophy if we look to the Srimad Bhagavatam and we look to what it has to offer, we can look to the verse we just chanted here. Pranti tattva vidas tattva myaj janama advayam. That supreme consciousness, spiritual consciousness, janam advayam, non-dual, is perceived by various spiritualists, transcendentalists, differently according to their approach to the Supreme. Some think the Supreme is just one great big spiritual energy. Some thinks, some thinks the Supreme pervades everything, every living entity, every particle of matter. God is there. You just have to be able to, to see that God's in everything, in every way, and and that's Paramatma, Brahmati, Paramatmati, and then there's other transcendentalists that go a step farther, Bhagavaniti. Well, that supreme personality, he is all that is Brahman, he is all that is Paramatma, and he also has his own specific personality, his specific likes and dislikes, his specific ultimate desire in relationship to everything which is an extension of his energies. He has his specific supreme personality and he manifests different degrees of that personality in different manifestations of himself. But if we look to all those manifestations, that one manifestation that displays 
the topmost, according to our tradition, is Lord Krishna. Krishna, the Supreme Personality Godhead. Krishna, Stu, Bhagavan, Swayam. Now we know our objective. And then Jiva, in the second part, he immediately says, okay, now, if we look to this great Bhagavatam, which explain, explains this great science of the Supreme Personality, oh, of all that's in that great literature, where should we focus our attention in approaching that literature? And he says, we should focus our attention on the revelation of the author of the literature. What was the spiritual revelation that was the foundation upon which the literature was presented to humanity? So he brings out four verses from the Bhagavatam which speak to the revelation of Srila Vyasadeva. And he says, these verses where it's spoken of Srila Vyasadeva's personal audience with the Supreme Lord, he personally experienced the Lord in his home abode, he personally saw all the Lord's energies, and that includes the energies that manifest the cosmos this, and this material energy that we're accustomed to. And he saw the Lord's parts and parcels, ourselves. And he saw some of these parts and parcels are not in complete harmony with the Lord. And he saw the remedy for that. He experienced in revelation these four things. The Supreme Lord, the living entities, the Lord's material external potency, which has bewildered the living entities into forgetfulness of him, and he saw the remedial measure, the solution for that separation that's experienced by some of the Lord's parts and parcels. He also says in looking to the Bhagavatam as a valid praman evidence, not only can we look to the revelation of Srila Vyasadeva, we can also look to the significance of the Bhagavatam and how it affected a perfect being. First, he tells us what a perfect being is. It's somebody who's in the world but not of the world, not affected by the world. And he points out in this literature, Bhagavatam, this narration, we can see that in the life of Vyasadeva's son, Sukadeva Goswami. So he says, look to Sukadeva Goswami, and we see what we call a man who's liberated in this very life. So much so that he doesn't even make distinctions between male or female, even right or wrong, inside or outside, good or bad. He's, he's completely situated in contentment of himself. The world doesn't affect him in any way. He doesn't suffer any reactions, being a Jivan Mukta. Even though it appears he has a, a material body, He's not affected by it. 
And throughout the Bhagavatam, we get hints of what it's like to be on that level of self-realization. It's pretty amazing. But Jiva says, also look to his. What, what, did, what effect did this literature have on him who was already perfect in every way from the individual self's apprehension of their nature? All that someone could do on their own behalf to perfect themselves, that was what Sukadeva Goswami had done. He was there. What that means, he was content in himself, realized in himself. But when he heard the sweetness of the pastimes of the Supreme Lord that attracted even him who was beyond any attraction in the world. So we can also look to Sukadeva Goswami and see what drew him to the Bhagavatam because that is the key to ourselves being drawn out of this material realm. That's the key that Srila Vyasadeva saw when he had his revelation that the Bhagavatam, the narration, the Katha, the lek all these stories are so transcendentally potent that they can relieve us of all the miseries of material existence simply by attentive hearing. So Jiva's taken us to this point. Let's try to understand what's the nature of ourselves, of spirit. If we really want to know what God is, let's start somewhere. And let's take a very practical approach to that inquiry. And he says to us, you can start to perceive what God's like, what is his nature, by looking closely at your own nature. So we're, this evening we're going to finish up a section which is dealing with this directive of Srila Jiva Goswami. So he's taken us in a few Anuchetas, sections of spiritual discourse, to the point where we'll begin tonight. The changeless self is the witness. So now remember, what Jiva's trying to do here is he's saying, think deeply and contemplate your own personal experience of yourself. And that deep contemplation of your nature will give you some apprehension of the nature of the Supreme. So he starts here, he says, first we look in, we look inward to ourselves. We're gonna finish up the inward part this evening, and then we're gonna take up the outward part. Look to the cosmos around you. What could, and take all that you can take from within, and all that you can take from without, as far as your personal perceptions go, and that will give us a beginning point to an understanding of the Supreme Lord. That will end the Tattva Sandarbha, and then we go to the Bhagavat Sandarbha, and then we go deeper into understanding the nature of the Supreme Lord, very, very deep into that understanding, by analyzing what these great saints and sages experienced in the Lord's presence, those that we're able to experience, 
different narrations from the Bhagavatam. He looks like this, he acts like this, he interacts like this. And what the sages have to say about that, when they either per were personally there and experienced it, or even heard about it, based on their level of, of self-realization, they're able to pull out unlimited meanings for us in those narrations from the Bhagavatam. Unlimited. You will never reach the depth of understanding. The Bhagavatam is unlimitedly deep in transcendental understanding of the Supreme Lord. These saints and sages, they give us some viewpoint. So we're going to start tonight with Anucheta 54. The changeless self is the witness. Taking the example of the invariable prana within the variable body discussed in Anucheta 53, a step further, Papalayana Rishi points out that the changeless self, nirvikara, atma, can be intuited from the state of deep sleep in which the senses and mind have been deactivated and hence have no bearing on the atma at that time. Let's step back. He first asks us, look at what we discussed in the last section. What I pointed out to you in the last section is we, the jiva, the atma within the body, perceives that the body is changing. I'm a youth. I'm a young man. I'm middle-aged. I have my own offspring. I grow old. I can see death on the horizon. Who's observing and what's observed? There's a distinction between the two. If I look carefully at that, I mean, I know we stand in front of the mirror and we say, look, I'm a I'm a young six-year-old kid, and you know, look at me. I'm a teenager. Changes are happening. I don't know if I like this. But when we step back and we look at it, we're observing, especially now when you get here, you look back and you go, wait, I feel like the young kid. Nothing's changed. I'm the same person. I was playing in the playground, shooting marbles and winning. <laughs> Yes. Emphasize on the winning. I'm the same person that was there playing rock and roll music on a set of drums. I'm the same person that was there in the middle of a commune in the middle of the winter taking showers in a creek with steam rolling off my body. And I can look back and see all these frames of a life and I'm still the same person. I am simply observing changes. So there is a distinction between what is being observed and who is observing. So that was what was brought up in the last Anucheta that Jiva Goswami mentions. 
Let's talk about the fact the life heirs are consistent, but they act differently within the body. There's one vital force in our body. And the, the yogis refer to this as our life energy, our life air, prana. And that prana works in different ways. Sometimes the prana is, is pushing outward, sometimes it's coming inward, sometimes it's moving up, moving down, so it's helping us breathe, it's making the, the sense organs work. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing stuff. But it's one life force although it's functioning differently. So in two ways, we can see this nature of the self being separate, of the invariable prana within the variable body. The body is changing, but the life force is the same. So now the Rishi, this is, these verses are from the Bhagavatam, he takes us to a little deeper understanding. And he says, in speaking to King Nimi, this is a great sage, Pipalayana Muni is speaking to King Nimi, and he's teaching them, teaching him about spiritual life. So the discourse continues, and he said, look at yourself, and look at your different states of consciousness. Now I'm just going to paraphrase here, so we can move through the material tonight. Look at, the fact that your senses and your mind have different states of awareness in three different states of consciousness. When you are awake, both your mind and your senses are active. We call that wakefulness. When you're asleep, The senses are not functioning, but the mind is busily working. So the mind is still conjuring up all kinds of things based on what you have had in various life experiences. Sometimes they're accurate portrayals, sometimes he's mixing all kinds of things up and you're seeing flying elephants in your dreams. But active senses are not working, the mind is working. And then let's look at deep sleep. Deep sleep, the mind's not working. Neither are the senses working. They're both withdrawn. You're like in a state of suspended animation. As opposed to the waking and dreaming states. Okay, the wakefulness and the dreaming states. During deep sleep, the Atma is deactivated. Atma's not doing anything. Or submerged is another way you could look at it. There's no transformation, either in sensual perception or in mental perception. The senses and the ego are not active in that state. Atma alone is present with Apati. Apati being what? an impression and a designation. The easiest way to understand it, you take a clear crystal. That would be compared to a clear crystalline mind. So you take a clear crystal and you put it in front of a red curtain. The crystal, you think the crystal's red. So we put ourselves in different mental situations, environmental situations, or 
forced upon us and our consciousness is colored. In deep sleep, there's no coloring of the consciousness. An objection can be raised. Then only emptiness remains. Soon your body, only emptiness remains. And Papa Lioness says, no, no, that's improper understanding. Because the remembrance comes to us of the state of deep sleep. We don't remember any cognition. We were not active so that we could intuit anything through this mind or senses. But we do know that we were in deep sleep. We feel well rested. So we have a remembrance of that. That's his argument. We're in deep sleep. We are a pure witness and therefore it's not that we end, that we merge into some, you know, the Buddha says, well, in deep sleep, that's your natural state. It's only in this wakefulness of the world and the wakefulness of the mind that you are separated from the nothingness that you are. And that's honestly their opinion. Well, who woke you up? Why did you come back? Why didn't you stay there? Who was controlling you to force you back? Who dragged you back into this terrible situation where you were no not you weren't nothing anymore? That's another discussion. This is his argument to those kind of naysayers. Just as a self-luminous object like the sun, which is in essence light just as a self-luminous object like the sun, which is, in essence, light, also has the power to illuminate. So it has some shakti. It itself is luminous, and it, through that luminosity, it's able to shed light on things around it. The atma through consciousness, our self, the essence of ourself is Atma, is also the ground of consciousness. So difficult when we talk to consciousness, when we are conscious, we are conscious entities. And the groundwork for our consciousness, which allows us to be cognitive, cognitively conscious, that's the, that's the groundwork for our consciousness. Make sense now? Just like light. If you look to a luminous object, it can shed light. Similarly, we are conscious atmas, and we are able to perceive things because of that consciousness. Just as the, a luminous object can illuminate things because that's part of its nature. From people Lyonis verse from the Bhagavatam, the 11th canto, he arrives at two conclusions. The conscious self does not change, although the body is undergoing constant change. And we're talking about two verses from the Bhagavatam. The Anucheta we're discussing tonight is dealing with two of the topics from last Anucheta, 
two things were there. So the first one was, and we, we can perceive the body is changing, but we are not. So there's a distinction. So we're aware of change, but our self does not change. We are a consciously cognitive entity who can perceive change. We're not the body that's changing, although we're in the body that's changing. That's from the last verse. And also, the body and the mind cannot be the seer because they are an object of perception. That's deep. The body and mind cannot be the seer because they are the object of perception. Can't be the seer because they're seeing. They're perceiving. I'm sitting here and my mind's gone a hundred miles an hour. Oh, I want an ice cream cone. No, I want the piece of cake. No, I want to be Billy Gates. No, I'd like to be Milk Jagger. No, I'd like to be black. I'd like to be white. I'd like to be old. I'd like to be young. I'd like to be an elephant. I'd like to be a cow. I'd like to be an elephant. Okay. The mind, I'm observing my mind is going itch, which way and everywhere. That's, that's what Jiva's saying here. Wait a minute, that's not you. Be, sit back and contemplate the fact that you are the seer, the observer. And one thing that's changing is your body. We can dig that. That's cool. That's easy to comprehend. With the mind, it's like, yeah, it's a little bit more difficult. Unless you really back off. Back off means what? Become contemplative. Back off means what? Take up a spiritual practice where you could actually let the mind go a little bit. Relax. Get out of it. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hail Mary, full of grace. <laughs> Whatever it takes, pull the mind away from from all the things that it is thinking it is or wanting to be or wanting to have or or thinking it is. As much as we want to have, we also think we are. So this is the point being made here. That we are not the mind and we are not the body. Now, from, th from the, the Anucheta tonight, he arrives at two additional conclusions regarding the nature of the self to be derived from this second verse that Pipalayana discusses. Distinction between the witness and that which is witnessed. There's a distinction between the two. And how can we know of it? Look to the condition of deep sleep. So this is cool stuff. This is good stuff. This guy's going somewhere. I can learn something from this. That there's a distinction between the witness and what is witnessed. That I can see that during my wakeful state, my senses are perceiving things, my mind is, is arriving at conclusions, perceiving things, making plans. Then I can go to sleep and I can see all that jumbled up into this mixture where I'm the king and then I wake up, I'm not the king. You know, I got the best queen, and then, then the next minute she's pulling a knife on me and killing me in my dreams. What the heck happened? And uh, 
Sometimes you just go through repeated dreams. I mean, if we got into dream consciousness here, we'd have to bring out all the psychology books and bring in the psychologists and the Freuds and the whoever else is there. Young. So and you'd have to look at those dreams and say, what do those mean to you? What they mean is you're not the mind. That's what they should mean to you. That's not you. Don't try to get anything out of it. Just know it's it's your mind is wants to create something for you that's not really there based on what you where you were and what you experienced in this life or some other life. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with the supreme. It has nothing to do with your loving relationship with him. And he ends there. His fourth item that he takes from Pipalayana is the jiva and paramatma are distinct. There's a difference between you and God. You're not the same person. You're both conscious, but there's a distinction. And yes, you do have a very, very intimate relationship due to the fact that you are the nature of consciousness and the source of all consciousness is the Supreme Lord. So you're pretty close in that regard. You're part of God's dream, his consciousness, his awareness. He is cognitive of your consciousness. Our consciousness is infinitesimal. We can't perceive his consciousness because of our limited awareness, but he's aware enough to perceive all of our consciousness. That's pretty far out. Because of our limited consciousness and because we let ourselves become wrapped up in the mind and senses both in our waking and our dreaming state. We're given a little buffer. I think they call it REM sleep for, you know, some few minutes every day. We're getting a little, we're given a little relief from all that. But for the most part, the great saints and sages say all of that other stuff is suffering. And guess what? The supreme does not suffer. So that's the other thing that can be intuitive from these verses by Pipalayana. There's a distinction between yourself, the little consciousness, and the supreme consciousness. And spiritual life means that we, we can't do away entirely with that. It's not possible. We're not going to become God. But we can get on the same page that God's on. That means a complete turning of our awareness towards pure consciousness, towards his pure consciousness, towards his pure desires, towards his pure, playful, loving relationships with his most intimate associates. And if we can come into that circle of friends, then this, this is finished. This suffering is done. The way Jiva intuited that, he said, well, if you look at the people lying and what he said about deep sleep, well, you weren't there anymore. You had no connection with your mind or your body. Who kept you breathing? Who kept your heart pumping? Somebody was there, and that's that supreme consciousness. He's fully aware, as I said, of all consciousness. So I'll take one or two minutes and summarize looking within to perceive the Supreme as presented in the Tatva Siddharva.
by Jiva Goswami. Understand that at the very beginning of the Tatvasandarbha, at the end of his Mangalacharna, in the first verse of the of the text proper, he said that his focus is going to be on four things. The Supreme, Personality of Godhead, and all that that entails, which includes ourselves and all the Lord's internal and external potencies. Sambandha, knowledge of the relationship between all those energies of the Supreme Lord. Abhideya, a perfect means by which we can, once we fully understand that relationship, we can eliminate and have a full turning of consciousness and awareness and activity and emotion towards the Supreme through some simple activities. We can perform some actions which will facilitate our spiritual revelation. Because when it comes right down to it, spiritual life is about experiencing spiritual life. This isn't just a, this is not a sh a show bottle thing. This is not an intellectual thing. Don't we really want to experience our true self? Don't we really want to experience the true self of everything? And don't we want to establish a relationship with that supreme, lovable entity? So we want a revelation. There has to be a way to get from here to there. That's called Abhideya. Getting there is, when we're there, is called Prayojan, the attainment, the goal. So Jiva says, in these books, these Sandarbhas, I'm going to speak about these four things. What is the Supreme? How do I, com do I completely align myself with His existence and What's it like when we get there? What entails Prayojan, that attainment? What's, what is it all about? What do you experience? Bhagavatam has a lot of people that experienced it in different ways. So we're given a lot of clues. We talked a little about, about the Buddhist misconceived idea of what? Awareness. Momentary awareness. They say listen to this one they say that consciousness cannot be eternal because it's ever changing at every moment what we conceive of what we're able to perceive with our consciousness is ever changing one moment it's red one moment it's yellow one moment it's hot cold. so how can you say that you have eternal consciousness there's nothing there but ever-changing consciousness. It's ever-changing. So therefore, the nature of the being who's perceiving it is ever-changing. Is that our experience? No. But that's their argument. Jiva Goswami defeated that by simply not going at it logically in the first Dhanacheda, but simply saying, no, this is the actual nature of consciousness by giving scriptural reference. It's, it's non-dual awareness. 
All the conclusions we've discussed primarily in the class proper have been based on looking at the microcosm, ourselves, our individual being, and next in the Tattvasandarbha we'll go into the macro, we'll look out at the cosmos and see what Jiva looks at in the cosmos as being indicative of an awareness and a, and a, and a, and a means of more deeply understanding the nature of the Supreme. So it goes in, goes out, and then we're done with the Tattva Sandarbha and he'll go to the Bhagavat Sandarbha where we actually start to learn detailed knowledge of the nature of that Supreme Consciousness. How does God think? So I'll stop there. Are there any questions? So the argument about deep sleep, it's not that we remember having an experience of deep sleep. It's almost like we have a remembrance of not having an experience. Like we're able to somehow remember that we did not have an experience. We're able to re- we're able to know from the result of the deep sleep that we got we slept well. That in and of itself, Jiva says, or Pipalayana says, and Jiva, Jiva quotes him, that's enough for us to have perception that there is that state of non-awareness. Mm-hmm. That there is a time during our rest where there's nothing there. Take that away, and what we have is insanity. And modern science backs up that conclusion. Take away REM sleep and they can't live. You cannot actually exist without having a period of rest where you are completely detached from your mind and senses. That's called sleep deprivation and we have places where we can can put people through that and and then he builds on that argument also and says that it's Paramatma that actually keeps things going. Well, you're not. Right, right. And then, I mean, then you go into a deeper under... I mean, really, do you think about breathing? Right. Are you pumping your heart? <laughs> Are you digesting your food? No, none of that's happening. That's all happening by some higher... Even within our own bodies we think so highly of them and we think we're in complete control of them but believe me can you stop that cancer can you think it away yes ma'am is there anything after the Bhagavatam after what the Bhagavatam yeah there's the Paramatma Sandarbha after that there's the the Krishna Sandarbha after the Krishna Sandarbha there's the Bhakti Sandarbha and after that there's the Preeti Sandarbha six Sandarbhas, four dealing with Sambanda, one dealing with Abhideya, and one dealing with Prayojan. And what's Preeti mean? Love. Pure love for the Supreme. Perfect love. Thank you so much for your association. Hare Krishna.